So what's going on with the Supreme Court? Uh, you know, they're just arguing the dang Trump insurrection thing in Colorado, taking him off the ballot in another state. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's crucial to, you know, the United States election here in uh, a few short months. And um, it's going to be a terrible election. It's awful. Awful just in how divisive it will make the country. I mean, we already are there, but (laughs) just the fact, like, it's so disingenuous to the American people at this point of allowing these two yahoos run. It's just wild. Wild. It's a double-edged sword. You're you're damned either way now. Yeah. I'll I'll still take the attempt to make America great again. (laughs) Yeah, right. Instead of just... Instead of the willfully, guy who, who's willfully on, fucking destroying the country. Right. The guy that's literally up on stage a couple days ago and talking about uh, how he met with the French prime minister. But the one that he references is the one that's been dead since 1996. It's like Trump. Just, Trump did that. No, this is Biden. Biden, Biden yeah. Did that. It's like, yeah, dude, what, do you live in the 90s? He's not even actually the president. But that's its own. <laughs> that's a whole, whole different argument. <laughs> Anyways, good morning. Welcome to the We Are Driven podcast, where we equip you with the tools to succeed in your pursuit of excellence in business, fitness, and cars in the name of independence so that you're not looking at politics as something that will actually majorly affect your life. Of course, it is majorly affecting a lot of our lives these days, but we would like to think that in the pursuit of excellence, you can gain further independence that will allow you to make the world a better place. This is episode 104. My name is Arun Kumar and I am the driver and I'm here with my co-host Dan LaRue. How are you, Dan? I am doing well. Good morning. Good morning. And as a quick reminder to everybody, if you like what you hear on this show, then please share it. And if you don't like what you hear on this show, then please share it, but just with somebody you don't like. Because if it's somebody you don't like and you don't like us, then it's probably someone who will like us, and I will take that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, thank you for for everybody that's helping us continue to grow the We Are Driven podcast, and as a result, share the driven mindset with more people, build our community, and grow the amount of people in the world who are focused on becoming better versions of themselves and leading by example to make their communities better as well. With that, Dan, do you have any automotive news for us to cover? Yeah, EV is out the door. Ha. Okay. Is uh, that it? Should we move uh, on? No. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> oh. Someone caught my throat there. Uh no. Uh I you know, I, I think you know, for as long as it, we've been doing this Arun, um, you know, we we love this shit on EVs. Um uh, sometimes with, you know, with good reason, sometimes just our opinion. Um, but, uh, as of recent news, uh, there are three manufacturers that are just getting, they're preparing to kick it to the door. One, a hundred percent is off of it. Um, and that is BMW. Uh, they have fully moved into the hydrogen sector. And that's one thing that I know I have publicly said on this podcast, as I thought would be the real alternative fuel source to what we have today. And uh, they're doing it. They're they're going to do it. They've said they were going to do it, and they 
they're like next year they're you're gonna have one to be able to buy it have have we talked about the infrastructural challenges with hydrogen not really i know that there is issue with it because like i know like a friend of ours is an engineer at cummins and she deals with that in, mm-hmm. in some of the issues with that so so what i know because basically i asked the question of and i don't remember who now but it was somebody who was involved in gas station infrastructure mm-hmm. and i asked them hey is it would it actually be easier for us to convert gas stations into hydrogen stations or to add hydrogen as a you know thing you can pump at most gas stations and this person said well technically yes technically yes hydrogen compressed hydrogen in liquid form is a very volatile yes. substance just because of how compressed it is right and so it makes it very difficult to engineer like 100% safe storage tanks and then get, and this is the part that I don't like, and then get certified. Right. Um, and the right. certification, I mean, that's just government regulation. So right. we don't like that anyways. We don't like any part of that. <laughs> but But I don't know enough to say is that certification right now something that hasn't been tampered with? And is it like a legitimate safety standard that is is difficult to meet? Or is it sure. an obscene safety standard that's just a barrier to entry? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. know. I, I expect some of that stuff to change. Uh, and I was talking to my mom about this last night, is that uh, the whole reason why we're at the point we are now is that I'm sold that they figured out how to monetize hydrogen. Okay. And that's why that there's a move, like a, a shift. That's fair. Yeah. Um so it, I maybe it's things like that. I, I think we're going to start seeing some some different legislation in the next couple of years on it depending on how well BMW does with it and how well Chevrolet and Honda does with their team up deal that they're doing. Uh I don't know. I, I, I'm interested in it. I thought it was always the yeah. solution. And then and, also Toyota had the mm-hmm. Mirai. Do you know about the Mirai? Have you ever seen one in person? In, uh, in I have never seen one in person. Okay. So they're decently common out here. The, the hydrogen fuel cell Toyota Mirai. Yep. It came out in 2017, I think, and they made it for a couple of years only. It looks like 23 was the last year. Oh, okay. So they actually made it for quite a while. But it is a very rapidly depreciating car. because I can see why. Because (laughs) even in the Bay Area, there aren't that many hydrogen stations. Right. So it's quite difficult to to use that vehicle. (laughs) Right. They do exist. They are here. But not to the extent you kind of want them to be. In the same way that we talk about EV charging stations. It's like, well, you know, this isn't really going to work. Whoa. They stored hydrogen at 10,000 PSI. It's a big PSI. That, yeah, on a 32-gallon tank. Wow. That's cool. Nice. All right. Interested now. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so the I news. That's the news in the industry. Um, yeah. we, have some, we have some shifts in fuel. 
We'll it's keep monitoring that one, I think. That's yeah, going to have to. I'm, I'm interested. Yeah. All right, let's update the people on our auction appraisal segment. So for those who don't know, the auction appraisal competition that Dan and I are fiercely engaged in is where we give each other an ongoing auction and we have to guess what the hammer price of that auction is going to be. And the winner is the one who has the lowest cumulative average percentage off of the hammer price from our guess. I am struggling as of the last pretty much two months of doing this. My average is 21.79% where Dan is crushing it the last two months Mm -hmm. with his worst performance being 18% off. That was your worst in the last six weeks. And that one was a tough one. <laughs> and that one was the Focus RS. Yeah. So your cumulative average total right now is 17.9%. Heck now, yeah. So let's go look at last week's auctions now. Dan gave me a Honda Element that I guessed would go for $17,777. And it actually blew up and went for $23,750. So I was off by 25%. Wild. And I gave Dan a very, very challenging. The Elf. Isuzu (laughs) Elf Crew Cab Dually Flatbed, which you'd think sounds like a really big beast of a vehicle, but it's actually... It's so tiny for a crew cab. (laughs) So he guessed eight grand and it went for $7,250 and you were off by 10%. And despite how mad you keep getting at me for the cars I give you, you keep knocking them (laughs) out of the park, which is annoying. (laughs) All right. So with that, this week, Dan, I have yet another vehicle that I hope is challenging for you. This has 192,000 miles on it, first of all. Oh, But there were only 5,300 of these ever made for North America. What I have for you is a 1988 BMW M3. It is a E30 M3 black coupe with the normal uh, four-cylinder in it, the S14 motor. It's been owned for 28 years by the current seller and is being sold for no reserve. There's a day left in this auction. Current bid is $25,000. And this car is listed as a project. So some of the items that are wrong with this car include super bad bubbling tint, AC that doesn't work, instrument cluster that doesn't work. That's 1990s purple tint. Oh, yeah. Well, it may be 2024 now purple tint. (laughs) That's true. Uh, This car has been rear-ended but it, it was repaired. That was back in 1999. It has quite faded paint. The front bumper is very torn up. There's a dent on the passenger door, and there's a little bit of rust forming right on the corner of the windshield. There is a turn signal lens missing. The windshield washer fluid uh, sprayers don't work. The seats are torn and cracked and All faded. All right, I got to stop you there. Why in the hell is it listed for 25 grand now because it's worth like 150 in good condition seriously right? i think so 
away. The ABS light comes on sometimes. (laughs) Well, evolution went for 188. But yeah, so clean 41,000 mile went for 120. There you go. Well, that's why I gave you this funny car here. Dude, this thing is terrible. I would not. Yeah, I don't care if it's worth a hundred grand in some cases. I don't. I just don't know if I'd spend that. I'm gonna. I'm gonna show you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna read out a comment here. The last Excellent. project. Well, hold on. I feel like this is a scam. <laughs> oh. Hold up. Hold up. There's literally. Hold on. I gotta see who who made the listing on this. Is it the same car? No, it's not. But it's literally the same title, word for word. 28 years own? Yeah, 28 years own, 1988 BMW M3 project. Literally word for word. Huh. I was like, wait, no way. This has got to be a scam. <laughs> um, but okay, so somebody is saying on this, it's an excellent opportunity for someone to buy a running E30 M3 on the cheap and flog it around. These M cars were never meant to be dolled up and look pretty to be speculated on. They are cheap looking plastic boxes that beg to be revved to the red line. The more expensive the car gets, the less you're going to want to drive it to maintain the value, which defeats the purpose of a driver's car. With this example, who cares about the dings, the rust spots, the bad paint, etc.? And I agree with him. This is I mean, a, he's I, got a point, yeah. I I even I mean, when I repainted my M3, I wanted to drive it less because I thought it was so perfect, I couldn't drive it. And I actually really don't like putting myself in that position. I want to drive cars that I can really use. 35 grand. All right. All right. That's what I'm we got. Just, I'm just. You're throwing out a number. That's what the last one went for. And the one before that <laughs> went for 33750 You actually had a perfect comp. <laughs> 28 years on the BMW M3 project. It's kind of wild. Actually, I think the one's been listed twice because I see two white ones the same year. Oh, okay. Well, white does command a premium, as you know. So. For some reason, oh. <laughs> black does too. I like. Oh. I was just all trying to throw exp- you off. I don't even know if that's true. They're all expensive. No, some Yahoo's going to spend that for sure. For some reason, I, I was looking in, back at the Elf. I, for some reason, I thought that thing went for more last week. No, it went for eight grand. Uh, I, no, I thought that the bid went higher than seventy-two fifty. Oh. Because I remember I was watching it live. I thought it was like like seventy seven fifty. I don't know. Do they do they roll back bids? Mm, Ever you'd have to go look at the history on the auction. Yeah, it wasn't because it would probably show up there. Yeah, and it wasn't. That's why I was like, man, I could have swore this was up higher, but whatever. What do you got for me this week? And I don't know if the listeners can hear this, but I assume one of the guys on my team set off a car alarm right outside my office. So there's currently a car alarm going off. I mean, I can't hear it. So, (laughs) all right. It just stopped. So we don't have to deal with that anymore. That was annoying for the last minute. All right. I have a 2009 Chevrolet. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, What? Wait, I don't even. (laughs) I was making a joke. joke? Uh, that there was another HHR listed oh. uh, today, <laughs> but I was, I'm obviously kidding. Um, I have a uh, a car that I would like to buy, 
which means I'm going to suck at this auction. <laughs> that's usually how those go because it's going to be a freaking 80s Audi it's wagon. Not, it's not an 80s car. Okay. It is more modern than 80s. Um, there are lots of them everywhere. It's 2013. Okay. Ford Mustang Boss 302. Uh, 3,900 <laughs> miles. Grabber Blue, baby. 39 wait how 3900 okay 3900 not yeah. 39 i don't know why i heard th- this is yeah. a good looking car I, that's why i Ooh. like it yeah i Oof. think i, I know <laughs> what i would pay for this all day long and that would be the bid i would put in on this but <laughs> i'm not going to say it until you make your decision uh, you think grabber blue is a really popular color? Absolutely. School bus yellow, grabber blue, and uh, gotta have it green. Gotta have it green? Yeah. Yep. Are the, are, the, are the colors. Gotta have it. It's like a Cold Stone creamery. You know what color <laughs> I'm talking about with that gotta have it green? I don't, actually. It's that really like electric lime green that they made. And this one we're looking at is not a Laguna Seca. Yes, correct. Not a Laguna Seca. In my opinion, I think they're ugly as shit. The Laguna Seca ones? Oh, 100%. With the paint, the paint scheme is kind of gross. Yeah, I mean, the black and red's cool and all, but then they threw the wheels on it. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, yeah, plenty, plenty of comps to be looking at on this one. Yeah, they're they're everywhere. But they're all over the place on these comps. I'm going to say Oh man, it's a good looking car. Right? I'm going to go And you don't f- see him in Grabber Blue that often either. I'm going 45. Okay. What are you What were you What was your I wouldn't be? spend more than 42. All right. Well, we're not that far off. No. I I I just think that they are low to mid 40 cars all day long which is amazing because you can pick up an earlier S197 GT500 for that but this car is seeing some action and it is it's it's, good. Uh, it's the color it's already at 35 850 and i i gave it a big color premium there yeah it's the color yeah okay well, we'll come back to that. Yeah, only, and only that next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I just I don't see uh, I don't see it going higher than forty, just because GT five hundreds of that year are starting to go for fifties. Yeah, but if you look at the comps, I know they're all forty plus, but there are a lot of Laguna Secas. There aren't very many non Laguna Secas right. selling. So yeah, I did my Seca best. Fetch money. Oh, they fetch it. Yeah, they fetch like it. a dog. Yep. Do they bring it back? I think they do. Okay, that's cool. That's like a golden retriever. It's the golden <laughs> retriever of cars. Okay, actually, I have a, I have a PSA. This is a different PSA. Normally, I interject like a really super <laughs> political PSA right here, but this one's not political. All right. I was enlightened to a story that happened a couple of weeks ago that I want to talk about. Um, because it kind of rattled me a little bit. Okay. Um, Dan, I don't know if you saw this. There was a Chrysler 300 SRT8 in the Bronx that's wrapped in a U-Haul livery. Nope, didn't see this. Okay, so this car, it was filmed earlier in the night 
on the night that of this news story uh, doing donuts at a sideshow in the Bronx with two people hanging out the back windows, one person hanging out the passenger window, just, you know, shooting Roman candles into the air, doing donuts in front of oh, a big crowd yeah. in an industrial area. This is not a heck yeah story. This is uh, dark. yeah, I know it's not. This is yeah. a very dark story. Uh, the news, so that obviously wasn't on the news, but the news captured the fact that this car at <gasps> something like, yeah, something like 3.20 a.m. on like January 12th or something like that. Is that right? Or January 20th or something, somewhere around Yeah, uh, Yeah. So it basically, if you Google uh, Bronx, Chrysler 300 crash. What you're going to yeah, see is the 21st at 3:20 a.m. There you go. So yeah. what you're going to see is this car, this white Chrysler 300C that got absolutely fucking destroyed because the driver slid it into a basically a fuel tanker truck. An un an, a parked unoccupied fuel tanker truck. The fact that a parked truck did that much damage. I know. So they must have been going very fast. Yeah, because I like, think, like, visually, guys, this thing is, like, almost folded in half. Yeah, the doors on the passenger side are gone. The hood is somehow up. The trunk is gone. And the car is about half as wide as it as it used to be. Uh, two people were killed. And one more is in critical condition and the driver is in stable condition. The driver was like furthest away from the impact on this one. The two people in the backseat that were killed, one of them was 21 and the other one was 15. And then the passenger who's in critical condition was 17 years old. So my God, that's some fucked up shit. That's yeah. some really, really fucked up shit. And the thing that scared me about this was I looked at the crash scene and I was reminded of what we're going to be talking about today, what I'm going to be talking about today, which is the T-Hill M4. And the T-Hill M4 met its final demise and why I closed the business because I was shooting a promotional video with the car, which meant I was trying to do some cool looking smoky tire stunts. Mm -hmm. Not unlike probably what this guy was doing the driver of this chrysler and we had a bunch of cameras there and a bunch of people had shown up to to watch these smoky tire stunts happen but i am actually not that experienced with smoky tire stunts and uh one of my employees at the time was really egging me on and he's big into not side i guess yeah sideshows and and that whole world and at the time, I just wanted to like get this cool video out. And so I, he was he was driving the car to do some donuts and things like that. And you know, we were doing it in a very open space, not nothing high speed or anything like that. And then he encouraged me to do a big launch with the car so that we could show how fast this M4 in in launch mode would accelerate with launch control. So I put it in launch control and I had put for this event, I had taken off the racing slicks that were on the rear tires of the car and I had put on the all seasons that had come with the car when I bought it. 
And so I had never actually used launch control with those all seasons on the car and launch control didn't work. And it, I was spinning the tires up until about 55, 60 miles an hour and fighting to keep it in a straight line. And I didn't. And I spun the car out and went backwards at like a 270 degree angle into an unoccupied bus. And the bus, the corner of the back of the bus hit my rear quarter panel on the driver's side about two feet behind me. And the side curtain airbags went off and I hit a pillow, basically. It felt like I was just laid up against a pillow. It was like actually quite a safe accident. And I was okay. I That was right before I threw out my back. So I have to imagine some of my back injury oh, was 100%. caused by this accident. Oh, yeah. But I was okay. I was completely fine. I got out of the car. I ran over to the bus. I made sure nobody was inside. The driver of the bus was standing outside of the bus, shaking her head at me. Mm-hmm. The bus was completely undamaged, and my car had $26,000 worth of damage to the quarter panel. Man, you get surprised they didn't total it. They really should have totaled it. Because I, no, sorry, $29,000 worth of damage. And I yeah. sold the car for twenty six after this. Shocked they didn't total it. Yeah. So, all that to say, I was in a very similar scenario to this Chrysler. And I am very, very lucky to have had such little consequences from what mm-hmm. happened. And I really do regret doing that now in retrospect. Uh, obviously I regretted it in the moment too. I destroyed my own, uh, you know, $55,000 asset and, uh, made it worth 26, but, (laughs) but it was a, it was a very, uh, rattling news story to, to read. So if there's anybody out there who participates in any of this kind of stuff, please stop because you're not doing anything worthwhile in doing this. It's, it's, you're probably drunk or on drugs endangering yourself and dozens of other people potentially risking damaging property, wasting your own money, damaging your own cars that may or may not be stolen. So just stop. Takeover street hooning stuff has to stop. Yeah. So with that, I'll go into uh, this week's topic for the episode, which is that not every business idea works. And I do want to continue my topic here on the, the T-Hill <laughs> M4. Uh, so I'll, I'll rewind a little bit. I love the racetrack. I love going to the racetrack. I love track days. I love time attack. I love wheel to wheel racing on road courses. And there was a time that I've discussed fairly recently on the Just Gotta Send It episode where I was making every excuse in the book as to why I shouldn't get involved in going to the racetrack because it was going to be too expensive. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have the right car. I didn't have the space. I didn't have anything that I thought I would need to go to the racetrack. And I have since enabled myself to go to the racetrack through taking a bunch of risk in driving an unproven, potentially unreliable old car to the racetrack, not knowing how to drive manual, and then hoping that I can 
you know, coax it through a track day and then drive home in the same car. <laughs> so I've done a lot of that. I've done a lot of, you know, kind of stupid, you know, young 20 something guy activities related to the track. But in doing so, I learned a ton. I learned a ton and I wanted to share in the knowledge and in the inspiration with other people by providing an opportunity for others to get out on the racetrack without having to put in the level of investment that I did. So I wanted to start a track car rental business as a side hustle that would enable me to own a really badass track car. So I had conceived the idea and I was talking about it with a friend of mine and I basically said, you know, you should do this. You should take on this, this business opportunity. And he said, no. So then I said, well, screw it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and so on Thanksgiving day, 2021, I made an Instagram account, bought a domain name and designed what this car should look like. And I called it the T Hill M4. T Hill stands for Thunder Hill Raceway, which is a, a track about three hours north of me, 180 miles or so in uh, Northern California. It's a great racetrack, a very versatile track. There's three different, four different layouts, two different directions for each layout. So you got a ton of different configurations to this racetrack. And the facility is very nice. It's fairly convenient to the Bay Area. There's hotels close by. There's very, very nice people up there. And it's just a good place to go learn how to get on the track because it's not an intimidating track with walls all right next to you. And it it's sure. not full of pros that are trying to do things all fancy. And it's a very grassroots kind of track. And I love it. And I wanted to support that track. And I, I basically made a car that I wanted to live at Thunder Hill Raceway. And I called it the T-Hill M4. And obviously, we're talking about a BMW M4. So next I needed to go get a car. And before I got a car, I had to get the money for this car. And at the time, as you've kind of heard me piece together from other stories, you might be aware that at this time in late 2021, I had just started really succeeding in my business. I had bought my M3 in July and then forced myself to grow my income from about $4,000 a month paying $800 on a car loan for the M3 to like ten dollars to $15,000 a month, depending on the month. And I thought I was untouchable when it came to business. I thought, oh man, everything I touch is just working. This is awesome. I'm making so much money. I'm going to just continue down this path and do some more. I'm going to do more business because I'm not yet you know, tapped out on my time and energy and resources. And I want to build a race car rental business so I can go to the track all the time and it's going to be sick. <laughs> that was what I thought. And so I had to go out and get the money for this car. And I had learned recently because of the M3 about unsecured car loans. So there's a company out there called Lightstream that will loan you money for a car without taking title to the car. And now you have to have excellent credit to get these loans. And fortunately I do, but even still that wasn't good enough to get a loan. So I had to have my wife 
co-sign on this car loan because she has the W-2 income that's more than sufficient for this car loan. (laughs) And so we together co-signed on this loan for me to get 50 grand to buy a BMW M4. So I had a $50,000 car loan unsecured. So they wired me 50 grand that I just now had in my bank account to do with whatever I wanted. How dangerous are these? These unsecured car loans? Yeah. They're great. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I highly years recommend are, them. years are turning. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend them to anybody. <laughs> can, can I ask why? I know it's a little off topic, but I'm just curious. Why did I get an unsecured car loan? Yeah, well, why why, why do you recommend them? I'm, I'm just curious oh, for oh, the oh. listeners, you know. Flexibility. Okay. So basically, you, you can get a loan for more than the car is sure that you're buying or you can get a loan for more than your purchase price and you can have a bit more fairly cheap money like it's also just a good capital source frankly okay but so i got this loan 50 grand and this was in late 2021 car markets out of control cars are stupid expensive so i tried to find the cheapest m4 in the country because i don't want a nice one for a race car rental i want one that's been you know used and depreciated and i i want one that's not worth very much so fortunately i found the second cheapest m clean title m4 in the country was in seattle and i'm from seattle so on christmas eve remember i made the website and conceived all this on thanksgiving day so now it's Christmas Eve 2021 and I got 50 grand in my bank account feeling like a baller and Heck yeah and I went out and I went to this dealership this used car dealership in Seattle and I found this M4 with 98,000 miles on it is <laughs> a DCT black on black 98,000 miles a couple of little mods on it but all cosmetic and they were asking I think it was 39 or something like that, 38,000, something like that. And so I I got them to 36, I think is what I ended up agreeing on the purchase price for them. And I was paying cash and I was registering it to an LLC in Washington. And then I remembered that sales tax is a thing. And I had not uh-huh. remembered that when I was budgeting this car out. So this was one of those really dumb business moves mm-hmm. where I had $3,600 wiped from my budget right then and there because of sales tax. Yep. So the thirty $36,000 car was out the door for like 41 after dock fees and sales tax. It was fucking stupid. Yeah. So now I have nine grand left from my loan to modify this car. <laughs> so you see how this this worked very well for me at the time. Yeah. And, and I had the title. I could register it to an LLC. These are all big bonus flexibility points for unsecured car loans. Yeah. And if you default on it, they have nothing to repossess. So they just send you to a They just a destroy your agent. credit. Yeah. And yeah. Because you have really good credit when you start this. Unless you're just throwing your life away, this is not something you want to default on. <laughs> uh, no, God, no. And the, the yeah. rates right now aren't terrible. No, they're good. They're I surprisingly see, I good. I see four six on one, yeah. seven four on another. Not yeah. bad. You're shopping. <laughs> I I was curious. I yeah. legit was just like, how does this work? Yeah. But so 
uh, we've got the car. I got nine grand. I wrapped the car bright yellow. I put a bunch of stickers all over it. I put new wheels and racing slicks on it, new coilovers, brake pads, and a beefed up cooling system. And so I dropped, I think it was something like 10 grand into this car. So I put 10 grand in the car and I've got, you know, basically $51,000 or something into the car. I sign up for track insurance. I sign up for road insurance. I have my trailer and my old F-250 and I'm ready to go. That's how this is going to go down. I get some gas cans and all my tools and bins and I'm ready to go to the track and I start advertising on Facebook and I'm spending, you know, I think it was like a hundred dollars a week or something like that on Facebook ads and I'm getting ripped to shreds. Everybody hates this car and everybody thinks that my pricing is stupid. And I'll back up a little bit. I built this super basic website. I had a couple of options on there. You could go to Buttonwillow Raceway or you could go to Thunder Hill Raceway. And if you went to Thunder Hill, I think it was $3,000 for the day if you were one person. And if you brought a friend, it would be, I think it was like $2,000 per person. And if it was two friends, you were at $1,600 per person or something like that. So kind of expensive, admittedly. And this is mostly because the M4 has very expensive tires and very expensive maintenance costs. And I had a pretty decent sized, you know, payback or payment on this loan that I took out for the car. So it was an expensive thing, but I tried to make it as high caliber as possible. So I hired a driving coach who would sit in the passenger seat while you were going around and give you tips. And it was a great idea. And I had my friend book with me. And then I was fighting and clawing for business. And I was on Instagram every day, following people and DMing people. And I was on Facebook running ads and just trying to raise awareness about this car. And I was posting every picture that I could of this really sick looking car. And it was a, big old struggle to get any business. And I had formed a partnership with a guy who had a car club on the East coast and he was trying to open a car club on the West coast and it was all exotic cars. And we got a sign up sheet going for the track and all these Lamborghinis were going to show up and Ferraris and Bentleys. And it was going to be this cool day at the button willow track because it was (laughs) fun to SoCal people. And one of them actually wanted to rent my car. And so she did. And so Well, the whole event ended up falling through because the guy on the East Coast just said, oh, I got too much going on. I can't help you. And he bailed, which is nice. Something that happens. So it sounds like we're getting somewhere, right? Like I've got traction. I got people following me on Instagram. I got Facebook ads running. And although I'm getting torn up on Facebook, that's okay. Because occasionally there would be somebody who would actually engage in a conversation with me about it. And and they'd say they'd think about it or, oh, I'm going to buy this for my husband for his birthday or that kind of thing. And so I felt I was getting enough market validation that it was going to work. And I was getting all excited and I was, you know, continuing to pour money into it with the insurance and the investments or with the uh, ads and all that. And eventually I had a couple of track days and we executed on them and the car was in good shape. The car was going well. Customers were really happy. And some of them were getting overwhelmed on the track, but they weren't doing anything stupid. Sure. You know, they were, they were just 
running, you know, into the rumble strips a little too far, or hitting a curb and yeah, the wheels got a little bent, but it was okay. And we were, we were, uh, you know, way under utilizing these super aggressive brake pads and it was kind of hard to get temperature into them. <laughs> sure. Um, overall, a couple of really satisfied customers, a couple, but then I got distracted and other business ideas took over. And I thought, you know, I've got this shop I'm running. I really should be focused more on that. It's not doing so hot anymore. And I'm, I'm just going to the track every weekend. And, and I'm running the car a lot more than anybody else is. And there aren't actually that many takers. I'm having to invest a ton of time with each customer to make like $400 for a weekend. Sure. Then, just, then you just don't feel enough. like you've made money on it. Not even a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. With all the work I was putting in to prep people for this event, and it was a big logistical challenge. Sure. And during this time, one of the times I was towing the car back from the track, I was in my old F-250 and I hit a pothole on the freeway and, and the, the truck jumped lanes on me. And I realized I've got this $10,000 truck that I'm using to tow a $70,000 operation between my trailer and all the business right. e- business equity and the car itself. I should probably upgrade my truck. And so I went out and bought the freaking first truck I could find <laughs> within my budget. Um, and I've, I love that truck. I still own it. But yeah. it was, <laughs> he talks you know, about I, it often, guys. At the time, that was a huge financial stretch for me. But I was just like, you know, I got to I got to do this right. Like I'm I'm just I'm spending every dollar I have to try to make a very capital intensive business work, but I don't have the time to invest in building the brand. And basically what happened, and I'll cut to the chase here, is I did not validate the market ahead of time. I went out there because I wanted this business. I wanted this to work and it was just full of ego full of like, I can make this work. I'm invincible. I'm an excellent businessman. I got this. Watch this. It's so easy. I'm just going to run Facebook ads to a simple website and people are going to spend two grand with me. That ain't what happened. (laughs) I had three customers in total by the end of this. Three. In six. In how many months? Six. Yeah. And, And so in six months, I still had this really cool looking marketing asset, right? Like I still have this bright yellow stickered up race car looking M4. That's cool. People like that. People saw me on the freeway and would tag me on Instagram. Like that was a cool time. That's what it's like to own a sick car. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But I was hemorrhaging money and I needed to make something work. And so I was getting desperate and we'll come full circle to the day that I crashed the car into the bus. I was way out of my league. I was, hi- you know, I was hiring media people for this shoot when I didn't even know how I was going to use the media from the shoot. And I was just crossing my fingers that something was going to work, but it was complete desperation. And I hadn't validated the market and nobody was willing to spend this money with me. And no matter what I did and no matter how much I tried to invest in, in a faster way to sell people, it wasn't working. And so when I crashed the car and I got, I was hoping it was totaled, but it wasn't, but the insurance paid me out. I, I, in the process of the car running through the body shop, we took off the wrap. I, uh, 
restored the front bumper that had been destroyed from many, many trips up and down the sloped trailer ramps. And I just said, all right, you know, this is it. I'm pulling the plug. So I actually never drove the car again after I crashed it. I had a employee of mine pick it up from the body shop, drive it straight to a dealership. And I had the dealership cut me a check. And I bought the car, as I said, all in for like 40, 41,000. And I sold it six months later for $26,000. So cheap for an M4. Yes. But they, they barely made money on it. They had it a a year on their car lot. Then they didn't make anything on it. They lost because they floor planned it. So, Yeah. yeah. And so all that to say, you got to validate the market and not every business works. And I wanted this podcast to be a documentation of, of these stories. And Dan's going to share, I don't know, I haven't given you much time, but a quick story (laughs) on, on your business idea that didn't go quite as you expected, but all in, you know, I I lost about 50 grand doing that business over six months. And not every business idea works, but I learned a lot. And really a tuition payment of 50 grand in the grand scheme of things, I'll take it. So that's my story. I'll, I'll turn it over to Dan for his story here. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and make it quick because it is kind of a long one. So I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll take right. some things out. So uh, yeah, accessory.parts um, wasn't just an idea. It was a collection of ideas. And that is why I this kind of falls in the lines of not every idea works because none of them did. Um, <laughs> okay. So we, we tried a lot of different things and it started with um, like, right. I think it was like March that March where COVID was like really bad and they shut everything down across the U S um, you know, I was furloughed and then I had came back that April 2020 is that, is that the right year? I don't even remember now. Yep. Um, so I'm back doing my job at Chrome Enhancements. I have left the restyler shop. And some people at the restyler shop were let go or they left on bad terms during that time. It just it, it was just messy for that business. And, um, you know, they brought over some people and one of them, you know, was trying to was trying to justify his, himself within the Chrome Enhancements business and, you know, to make sure he got paid and he had a job and, and all this jazz. And uh, he kind of started just selling some stuff via Facebook Marketplace, some aftermarket appearance parts, whether it be like steps, tunnel covers, wheels, whatever okay. it may be. He yeah. sell it sell it underneath Chrome Enhancements. And um, it was cool. And he had asked me, he goes, you know, what if, you know, what if we made a business out of this? And I initially told him no. I was, you know, in my own world doing my sales management stuff with my guys. I didn't, I did really at that time didn't want anything extra because I was now shifting from restyler shop to back to doing my normal chrome enhancement stuff. Um, then you know another month goes on the road, and then next thing you know, there's not only him, but there's three other people that are now getting involved with creating this business centered around. Selling aftermarket parts online, whether it be Facebook or an online website, uh, specifically to car clubs, like branded car clubs. Okay. Um, so, like, uh, I think 
like hustle hard is is one um or um and what was the other one there's there's a couple like ram truck ones that are you know branded nationwide you pay dues um audi club north america technically is one like my chapter here is kansas city so then there's you know obviously other regions like california will have one or two you know um so the idea was is that we we're going to sell these parts to them. They were going to get a discount. They were going to take the industry average of like 6%, 7%. Uh, that's what most retailers online will give a car club. Um, so we were doing that on the front end for the sale. And then on the back end of the sale, we were matching that 6% as a rebate kind of in quotations to the car club. And we would hold on to this money for them so that they could use it for their events, whether they wanted to take their club out to eat and they wanted to throw an event, you know, whatever they wanted to use it for. We didn't just want to cut them a blind check and say, here you go. We wanted to make sure that it was used for something. Sure. Um, the problem with that is that there's no margin on aftermarket auto parts. <laughs> so it, as good as it looked on paper, nobody was getting paid from it except the car club. Because they were getting, you know, their six percent, which essentially eliminated taxes or shipping, and then they were getting their payment. Meanwhile, we had to pay our vendors, we had to pay our salespeople that we hired along the road. Ooh, and it, and so it just, this is turning into a real operation here. Yeah, the, and we paid yeah. on gross margin. Um, okay, you know that way we weren't, we didn't want to pay on revenue because we knew it would kill us even more. <laughs> um, and it just it just didn't work long-term. I was frustrated because I'm looking at the numbers, I'm doing the ordering and I'm like, guys, we're not making any money on this. Like this makes no sense. So then that moved into, okay, we're going to work on that a little bit. We're going to, we're going to bring in some wholesale companies, um, like, uh, dealerships. We're going to sell some dealerships and we're going to try that route too. Um, you know, we had a guy that was exclusively working with the dealerships and dealing with their aftermarket teams because they didn't like their options as far as getting their parts. Um, kind of the same boat, no margin, not enough money to play with there. Um, and that's when we got into restyler consulting. Um, you know, we all sat in a conference room one day and we're like, we realized that what we were doing wasn't working. And, um, we sat in the conference room and we're like, what are we all good at? What are, where have we all been in our lives that we could we could do something with the skills that we have? And I looked around the room and I said, you're a marketer. You're a tremendous sales guy. I know my parts inside out, left and right. And Which this is guy, operations. And, yeah, and then this guy over here, he's got the finances down pat. So what can us four do that would make sense? Where have we all been together? And the consensus was, was like, we've all done restyler shop work of some sort. And we're like, okay, how do we consult with these guys to make their lives easier and more profitable? And we signed on uh, four restyler shops across the U.S. And uh, the premise was kind of the same. So we took over all of their ordering for them. We reset up um distribution accounts for them with and then um those distributors would rebate us back for giving them business and then we would pass along a little bit of those savings to those shops 
And also we were selling them marketing services on top of that. So it worked, but the problem is, is that shop owners, and I know Arun, you know this from working with them yourself, is that they're very set in their ways and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, sometimes just egos and attitudes just don't mix. And I'm still friends with some of them today. Like with no beef, it just didn't work. Um, this long term, I think our group, I don't think we were ever sold on it from the beginning. And I think that's, you know, lesson number one is you have to be sold on what you're doing. It was yourself. it was always going to be like a dabbling side hustle. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's just kind of what it felt like the whole time. Not just the consulting part of it, um, but also the the online sales stuff. It just it just always felt side project y to me and it just never felt like it was gonna pay any sort of bills. I don't think I ever got paid off of it ever, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, so it, actually, I mean, and that's a similarity between us is it was a side project. Yeah. And, so. and I, I wanted to love it. And I, I think that people just didn't have time. The marketing guy took, you know, a couple jobs as a, as a, you know, freelancer. And I think everyone just ran out of time, ran out of steam. And then I stepped away from it completely after the, the whole restyler thing ended. And they, they went on for a few more months. Um, they got really big into selling Mopar OEM parts um, for those specific like Mopar Ram uh, branded clubs. It was going okay, uh, but the the marketing costs killed them. The, there was just there's not enough margin in those parts yeah. to, to make it worth it. And you can't compete with the other websites that are offering free shipping or free two day <laughs> shipping. You have yeah. Amazon to deal with. It just it it was. Never going to work. So at the middle of last year, it, it officially closed. All right. So. And I'm sorry, I got to officially close this podcast now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> we're on the we're on the schedule today. Sorry, folks. This is how it goes sometimes. If you want to get more connected with the We Are Driven community, you can see us on YouTube with the Driven Diary, where we have a weekly vlog of my life building my billion-dollar automotive services empire. We have the podcast that you've already listened to. Please share it if you've enjoyed listening. And if you want to talk with us more, you can find us on Discord. And we have a server dedicated to the discussion of the pursuit of excellence in business, fitness, and cars within Discord. And if people want directions to any of those places, Dan, where can people ask you for directions? I am Dan LaRue on Facebook and LinkedIn and Dan underscore LaRue on Instagram. And I am at Arun D. Kumar on Instagram and Arun Kumar on Facebook and LinkedIn. And that is all we got on our terrible business ideas for today. <laughs> this has been Arun and Dan. We appreciate you listening. And until next time, stay driven. Yeah.